Sci-Fi, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast cross-sections. Their mission, to explore new topics and create new content. And boldly go where no boys have gone before. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your magnificent mariner, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and joining me today is... Mark. Jason. Matt. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. I'm drunk. Andrew is drunk. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. We're after a good start. Today, we're talking about 2019's Sea Fever, an Irish-made sci-fi film. Uh, I don't really want to call it 2019's, though, uh, just for the sheer fact that that's when it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, but it was released to the rest of the world uh, as of last week, uh, the beginning of April. So It's a wide um, release of 2020. Yeah. So we'll just say 2020's Sea Fever. Um, however, before we jump into that, I'm going to throw it over to Ben Young for the news. Alrighty. Keep clearing out your throat. So, anyway, uh, we, I got two pieces of news for everyone today. Uh, first of all, Sony Pictures has picked up the Daniel Suarez sci-fi thriller novel Influx. David S. F. Wilson, director of the what movie? Does anyone know? Nope. I know David S. Goyer. Nope. From some other movie. David S. F. Wilson, director of the Bloodshot adaptation, is set to direct, and Zach Okowitz is adapting the book. Quit making up names. The story is set in the future where a particle physicist perfecting a world-changing invention has his lab infiltrated by terrorists. He is brought in and held by a clandestine government group, and when he refuses to help, he's tortured by an artificially intelligent inquisitor. No release date yet, but we'll be following along and keep everyone updated. I haven't read the book, but it doesn't... It it sounds okay. It sounds interesting, I guess. I don't want to, like, jump to, like, snap judgments, but... I mean, artificially intelligent inquisitor? Yes. (laughs) Of course, Matt loves the inquisitor part. So, the other piece of news I think everyone can guess. uh, We finally have our first look at Denis Villeneuve's adaptation of Frank Herbert's sci-fi epic, Dune. Yes. Vanity Fair dropped new photos showcasing Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, and more. The new movie will only cover the first half of Herbert's novel, with Warner Brothers agreeing to tell the story in two parts, just like they did with uh, It, chapters one and two. Dune is released in theaters on December 18th, 2020. Uh, Hope- just hopefully. So just so we're clear, did you just lump Josh Brolin into Other? Dude, wow. Oh my god, I feel like he gets so, mentioned though. Man. There are so many actors in that movie. <laughs> if I were to list them all, we'd be here all night. I mean, I think I, don't have to work I think actually we Yeah, what are you doing tomorrow, Ben? I think actually Uh, I'm closing down shop. Actually, yeah. what's up? Bill? Actually, we could probably go through the whole cast and it would probably be before midnight. We could do that right now if you want. <laughs> no, I want to know. <laughs> this yeah, is no. the Dune cast cast. I got a village uh, uh. to take care of. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. Uh, that is it for the news. For all of the latest and greatest sci-fi news, you can follow us on Facebook.com slash sci-fi cross-sections and on Twitter at SF cross-sections. Back to you, Overlord. Thank you. I'm now going to list off a few names that most of you have never heard of. Uh, so this movie was written and directed by, uh, I'm going to say, Nisa Hardiman? Sounds right. Okay. And produced by John McDonnell and Brendan McCarthy. Those are two very Irish fellows. Uh, the movie is starring Hermione Corfield. Um, she's English. Doug Ray Scott, as the name implies, he's Scottish. And Connie Nielsen, who is in fact Dutch. All three of those people play Irish people. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, 
Uh, Dutch or Deutsch? (laughs) um, Dutch. Hmm. (laughs) Deutsch Deutsch is German, right? Yes. But Pennsylvania Dutch is a whole... Yeah, Pennsylvania (laughs) Dutch. It's actually Pennsylvania Dutch. Exactly. Um, uh, I do not have a budget for you guys. I, I love little indie films like this because they never have, well, budgets available for obvious reasons. And I cannot give you a box office because, well, it doesn't have one. So there we go. Well, more importantly, I just want to throw out really quick that, like, the budget was probably very small, but it was probably larger than it would have been due to the fact that this is an international production effort. Yes. This was from uh, Ireland, Britain, and one other country. Belgium. Belgium. Which is bizarre. Why? Just like the, it, 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 where does Belgium fit into this? Is what I'm saying. Like you know, you got Ireland makes sense, Britain makes sense, uh, Belgium. Okay, why not? They catered breakfast. Also, I, I I gotta I gotta take a step back here. I said Connie Nielsen is Dutch. She's actually Danish. Mm. Oh, dude, there's, what there's the like hell? there's like a hundred mile difference there. And now I, we're gonna I get just, sued. Yeah, yeah, Great. sued by the Danes. Oh. Sued by Dane Cook. Oh God! He really needs the money, guys. He really needs. Hey, if the beer fits, wear it. Uh, that's that's my new motto, Miller. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Oh, um. So yeah, another big thing is what actually brought this to, I guess you know, stateside was the distributor Gunpowder and Skies label Dust, which um, we've mentioned before on this cast, which we just found out a couple months ago. That's like a... um, They're dedicated towards science fiction and like promoting uh, indie science fiction, so... Yeah, I think we'll be covering them a lot more on our over on our Patreon, so... Yeah, hopefully. They got a lot of cool stuff there. Oh, uh, also to point out, this was supposed to get a theatrical release um, this month, very month, uh, very April month of April. Thank you. Um, <laughs> however, uh, due to recent events, they canceled that and instead did a uh, digital premiere that you could have like paid money for mm-hmm. five bucks when it came out. That was last week, uh, or you can just rent it on Amazon for six dollars. I paid two ninety nine. What? And if you you're did? listening in England, I don't know why. Oh, that's impressive. That's weird. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I I'm not looking back. If you listen, uh, if you're listening to us in England, I should say stop right here because it doesn't come out for you guys until like the 24th of the month. But sorry, whatever. Yeah, spoiler it's, alert. It's good. You'll like it. Yeah, the fever yeah, gets over 100 for the cast. Yeah, just pause here, wait that week, watch it, and then come back. We'll be here. It's very representative of the people that you have disenfranchised so, so Oh my much. lord, you just alienated our English audience. <laughs> <Yeah, no, no. laughs> so that's where we are now. Here we go. Um, wait, 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 wait. I, I just wanted to say, did you know Tony Collette was supposed to be the captain? Yeah. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Tony Collette, she was the mom in Hereditary. I haven't seen didn't that, see it. But... You didn't see Hereditary? Well then Yeah, it was just it was No, what do you think? I have a horror podcast? Ben, I'm surprised at you. That's, that's right up your alley, man. I, it's it's not on purpose. It was one of those that kind of slipped through the cracks. I actually own it. I just haven't gotten around to putting it on. So here's the thing, though. Really pleased that Connie Nielsen got the part instead. Yeah, she's great. I she was she's great, fantastic. honestly. But first, what? I have a synopsis. Oh, <gasps> that's right. That segment we do. It's not really a segment. It just sets up the movie. Okay, here we go. Go, Ben, Ben, go now. Wait, now? Yeah, now. No, hang on. Oh. Wait, okay. Colin, now? lead him into it. Hang on. Okay. All right, go ahead. A young marine biologist joins an Irish fishing ship to conduct research in the deep Atlantic, but begins to clash with the crew before even setting sail. When the ship's skipper redirects their course into a Coast Coast Guard exclusion zone, 
the crew discovers a new species of parasite that begins defending itself against this new threat and forces the crew to struggle for their lives. Sea Fever! <laughs> Thank you, yeah, Ben. Damn, well done. Could you imagine? Could you imagine that soundtrack soundtrack throughout the movie? <laughs> that would be oh, fun. Yeah. The tension, just the prodigy, the, the entire little bit. fucking movie. Yeah. You can cut the tension with a knife. Everyone's voice so, chats overlap for a second, and I heard tentacle prodigy, and <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the that's first being actual the night. content already, though. Yes, <laughs> first of twelve tentacle prodigy. So I think we were talking about Connie Nielsen. Yeah, always love to talk about Connie Nielsen. Uh, famous for such movies as The Devil's Advocate, Gladiator, uh-huh. Wonder Woman. There's plenty more there, but I feel like those are the only ones that come to mind for me. I've right never now. heard of her in my life. I've never seen any of those movies. Oh. You've never seen Gladiator? No, man. I've never seen Gladiator. Gladiator is one of my favorites, boys. Wow. Ben, and what the fuck? Wants, wants to borrow it? I got the Blu-ray. Hell yeah! I think Ben owns I'd the Blu-ray. I'd love to, but unfortunately, I don't have the Blu-ray of Gladiator. Unfortunately, I can't be in contact with you, Jason. I, I'm sorry. I ended ben up. I'll, I'll send it to your house with a passenger pigeon. No, I don't. You can't just say shit like that. I can say anything I want to. It's the year 2018. He's got a good point. <laughs> last, He's got a point. Last. Ben, it's it the censors talking, not Miller. And, and he's, if he says anything too wild, we'll just make this thirty seconds. <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> Mark! Uh, what were you saying? Oh, it it had been a long time since I'd seen Gladiator, so I was kind of itching to watch it. And then I was I went with Alex to one of her friends' places, and uh, one of their roommates was he was the highest human being I'd ever seen in my life <laughs> because we we went out and he's like, I'm just gonna stay in. And he just smoked pot and watched Gladiator the whole time we were gone. So I got back and I watched, I watched the last like half an hour of the movie with him, and it was the best movie experience. <laughs> he just smoked pot and uh, did Maximus's monologue over and over and over again all night. <laughs> Are you not as high as me? <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to say something about the cast of this movie. So I thought it was kind of interesting. Doing. Um. It was a, a mix of kind of young and old. So you had a lot of these relatively unknown, I'm sure probably outside the indie sphere actors. And then you also had some of these kind of old, older, I should say, kind of vets of, um, you know, the, the filmmaking scene from like the early 2000s and late 90s. I thought like Doug Ray Scott, I remember seeing him in Mission Impossible 2 back in the day. So it's yeah. kind of funny, like uh, I haven't really followed his career by any means, but I thought he was good in, in that movie. And uh I kept. He's on Batwoman right now, by the way. Really? Sorry to oh, interrupt. Yeah. yeah, he's the he's uh, Kate Kane's dad, who ends up as a bad guy in the comics. So I don't know, but he well. The funny thing about Doug Ray Scott is I never like follow his career, just like Jason said. Uh, by all means, I don't think he's like the best actor I've ever seen. But every time I see him in a movie, I like his acting. He's good. Sure, he's, he's good. good. He just pop. He pops up, and he's a pleasant surprise. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That ben. was my name in high school. Um, well, same thing with uh, Connie Nielsen too. I mean, I I knew she looked yeah. familiar, but I I couldn't really place it. And then uh, when I went back to the IMDb page and I was looking at her credits, I was like, oh shit, she was in Gladiator. <laughs> I just I didn't <laughs> I, I couldn't put A and B together when I was watching it. But yeah, I thought it was really good. Uh, good cast uh, performances were were pretty solid all throughout. Um, I thought all the characters or the actors really sold their characters really well. Um, wasn't a, a ton of characterization in the movie. I thought kind of more um, based on the characters being kind of, I don't know, they were kind of plot devices in some way, shape, or form, but I thought it wasn't as bad as I've seen in a lot of movies. I, I thought they kind of served to move the plot along, but you genuinely did care for the characters by the end. At least I did. I got invested in the overall arc. I mean- in a movie like this, you there's no way to avoid the tropes, but you can like ease them in there and make it smoother. And I think they did a good job with this one. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, though. In that, like, I I, I was honestly the most disappointed with Connie Nielsen's character with the captain because uh, I, I found myself kind of laughing at the end when she jumps onto a rowboat and 
They're like, what about the ship? And she's like, it's just a fucking ship. And I'm like, okay, but you were just crying over the masthead a second ago. So when did we jump there? I think the ship was supposed to represent their kid they lost. Yes. So once he died, the ship didn't mean anything. Because he wasn't, she wasn't sharing the experience. Which kid? Yeah. The uh, Suzu literally what? called uh, Niv Nima Sudi. No, no, no Sudi's a man. Um, Shanahan. So, that's not anything. <laughs> oh, Hulahan. So what kid? There was no kid on no, the so ship. No, so if you notice, there's there was no early... kid on the ship, but she had an, like a little amulet that had her daughter's picture well, in he... it, and something must. No, she I thought must that was died. the skipper's kid, and he's saying that he's never going to see the kid again. They okay, so. I Connie have Milson and Doug Ray Scott were, are married. They had a really? kid together. The kid is clearly dead because they say a prayer and open a locket. And and the kid is named, or the ship's named after the kid part of it. And the little, um, the figure at the front of the boat Mast represents head. their child. The masthead. Ma masthead, thank you. I guess I'm just fucking awful at paying attention to movies. <laughs> Me too. As drunk as I, I am, then it's that. understandable. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't then, but uh, and I'm probably still not now. But um, <laughs> no, I true. probably won't I guess, be tonight. No, I guess I. I guess I fucked up that one. Sorry, listeners. Uh, thank you for the information. I guess that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Um, Maybe if you'd seen the gladiator, you would have caught. Yeah, it. yeah. I, I think that was it. Actually, I really, really think that I was it. Picked up on the cues. That Thank are you, there. Mark. Um, I mean, in all actuality, guys, no, they I, really should have probably reconsidered naming the ship the Lucky Leprechaun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just leaned into the theme. Yes. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> I forget what I was going to say. Go ahead. Are we going to talk about how superstitious the crew was for a sci-fi movie? Oh, I was personally I offended. <laughs> I was about to ask. So, so Bill, talk to us about your feelings throughout this whole uh, redheaded as a redheaded stepchild. Well, all I have to say, okay, so this is going to sound. I'm just, I don't know. I guess I'm just a piece of crap because I just thought she was, she's gorgeous. <laughs> I, just, I just kept saying, I oh, just kept absolutely. watching it and be like, I was because it was basically, you know, she was an out of touch academian that you know wasn't really, you know, that that was out of touch with human reality basically with human like intimacy basically and like so i'm watching this thing and i'm thinking like okay yeah bookworm 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 but i really just love looking at her which in my mind i thought that was problematic because <laughs> i'm like i have red hair she has red hair it's 2018 it is problematic yeah. but who, who cares? cares we 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 all know that redheads are attracted to each other due to the chemical formula that is excreted out of their hair ginger but, uh, <laughs> yeah okay that, those are those are dangerous thoughts bill because if you guys kiss that's how uh, forest fires start that's true <laughs> Ooh, well i just think that you know, we should be spreading out the gene pool. And so that was really a struggle I had internally <laughs> throughout the entire, throughout the entire. Welcome. Welcome to the Bill Jarvis comedy hour. I'm, I'm, I'm taking it back here. Matthew. Yes. We started, we were about to start talking about the various like myths and uh, legends that these, uh, these Irish sailors hold on to. I, I feel like you were about to say something there and then Ben asked, Bill, what Bill what thought a mistake. about <laughs> jeans. I don't know. I don't think I was. Oh, Good talk. <laughs> I, so I, uh, so I was actually really pleasantly surprised that the plot didn't really hinge on that superstition. It, 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 it could have turned. It could have been very easy for them to all of a sudden become violent toward her because of her red hair. And and yes, the, the old lady did become violent toward her, but that was because of the parasite rather than the paranoia. She was, was clearly had some sort of like mental instability due to the parasite. I thought it was, I thought it was very, 
uh, big of them to not fall onto that trope of being like, well, here's our paranoia, here's our our human flaw, and now we're going to take our our anger and our fear out on you because it would have been so easy to do it and it would have been so groan-inducing. And I'm glad that it was like, you know, they even seemed to accept her throughout it and and they listened to her for the most part. Even when she, she ended up uh, scuttling the ship, or not scuttling it, but stalling the ship, she... They and and finally she they listened to her and she explained her reasoning. It they seemed to accept it, right? Like they seemed to be like I I especially the skipper, like he understood. He finally like took a step back and and he understood what she was getting at and seemed to kind of accept it and accept her reasoning, which I was really happy with. That because it could have been so easy to turn turn hostile toward her. Right. I kind of like that they they use it as a device to like set up attention on the ship to an extent at the beginning when there wasn't anything to be tense about well yeah. it, for most of the crew at least you know obviously the uh owners of the boat were um very nearly going to lose their ship so there was tension there but like for the rest of the crew the bad luck like set a set a precedent for them you know absolutely no i, I agree with what you're saying i just I, I did like that they used that before there was actually anything any action happening because they had so much setting up to do and you know getting everything moving on on the boat and setting the story up that like there was good it was a good use of that early before anything actually was tense it was also nice to kind of see everyone on the boat trying to fight against their personal superstitions they somehow knew it was kind of silly to think red hair is bad luck but you saw them throughout the film fighting with that they kept seeing her as some sort of jinx yeah yeah that's absolutely it It, no one everyone reacted and then pulled back in some way or another like the old lady who she shows her under her hat and she's like she's like oh shit Uh, might as well take it off now you're one of us you're here that was actually the exact scene i was thinking of yeah no, that's a great point. And, and, and it just goes to show humanity in kind of a positive light in a way that like going into this movie, like I'm, I'm sure many like myself, at least I didn't expect to see humans in such a positive light in a film about, you know, in a sci fi film about what lies beneath humans always kind of come out bad. You know, right. we always kind of seem to, to get a bad rap in movies like this, but it was nice to to see everyone kind of banding together. No one turned on each other, really, not by their own volition, own volition anyway. But. Well, while we're talking positive, I had a kind of one comment I wanted to make on our main character. I, I don't want to butcher your name because I know it's kind of like a, a Celtic or Gaelic sort of pronunciation. Oh, Shaban. Her character yeah, name? Yeah, character name. Does anyone remember it? Shaban. Shaban, that was it. Shaban. Which, yeah, by Shaban. The way, what a, that's a cool name. I really like that name. But... um. Oh, it's a great name. But yeah, what I thought was kind of cool with her character, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but when you think about it, so her character traits, um, you know, she's very kind of dry, academic, kind of antisocial. You know, she's very big into, I, I think in that first scene when she's in her, you know, like PhD program or whatever with her cohort, like she wants nothing to do with everyone else. And I thought it was interesting is in a lot of other films, you would see that as like a character flaw or like a character weakness. But I don't feel like, this movie really leaned into that as like a weakness for her to overcome per se. It was just kind of more like it treated it as, yeah, this is her, you know, this is her personality. And she certainly warmed up to the crew as, you know, time went on as the story went on. Uh, and certainly in the end was selfless and, you know, uh, did what she could to help everybody. But I thought it was interesting that that wasn't uh, at the expense of kind of who she was as a character. Uh, she grew and certainly developed a bit um, as the story went on, but I thought she kind of stayed true to herself. So, so that was kind of a positive thing too. While you know Ben, we're talking about viewing humanity in a positive light. She kind of got acceptance on her own terms from the crew about halfway through the movie uh, before you know the shit hit the fan. But um, I thought that was just kind of cool that it, it, the character is very unlikable at least initially. I, I thought you know. I don't really care for this character at all. I mean, I know that's the point of it, but I, I wasn't like enraptured by the performance or like, you know, the the point of the character wasn't to be a likable character, but I thought by the end, you kind of come to terms with the character she was playing on her own terms. And I thought that was a win for the movie or a win for the writing and the acting really. Yeah. 
I don't know if I was I was totally like against her early on. I I definitely like got her her mindset. I don't know. Maybe I connected with her a little bit better and just kind of understood, you know, it, it didn't seem like a place she wanted to be. She It was a place she had to be. And I understood that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Well, from my perspective, it seems to me like she didn't know quite how to bridge the gap between her being the newest person on a crew filled with people who were basically as tight as family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was literally like coming home to a whole family that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's a lot of diff- different interpretations, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um. I wanted to say something real quick. Oh, okay. So I want to talk about the concept of sea fever real quick and how they basically said, uh, it's mainly brought on, uh, psychosis due to what lack of lack of sleep, lack of sleep. Yeah. Um, which I, (laughs) I did a really good job. I didn't laugh out loud, but the, every time they mentioned it, I kept thinking of uh, hydrogen psychosis from Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. <laughs> crazy, crazy. He's got hydrogen psychosis. Yeah. Crazy eye. <laughs> but, uh, well, I've also heard it called a uh, cabin fever. Yeah. So kind of the, uh, the, the ubiquitous but, space sort of catch all or, or sci-fi catch all for, uh, being, you know, madness from being in confined too small a space for too long. Yeah, but I think sea fever is brought on more by the lack of sleep than by the uh, enclosed space. But it's mm-hmm. the same concept regardless. Because I think they said they sleep three hours at a time on, yeah, two. on the ship. Just two hours at a time? Two hours at oh, a time. Boy. Yep. That's which is worse. a re- which is a real thing on fishing vessels. It's yeah, you know well, they they can't the... man them enough to have like eight hour shifts of of people up and you know while the rest of the, while half the crew sleeps half the crew's up no they don't have enough manpower for that and you or can't you need fit enough manpower boat. on that see what you did you there. would need a bigger boat is John salsa shark no sharks oh, okay salsa. i wish it was but i don't think so um well now that we're talking about the monster in the water jaws um <laughs> what do you guys think of First off, showing it so early on in the movie, showing the big, uh, the creature, the, the creature. Yeah. For lack of a better term. I thought it was, I thought it was a good move. I thought it was a really good move. You saw it and it wasn't overtly menacing. It wasn't Cthulhu, you know, it wasn't, uh, anything insane, but you got to see that it was not necessarily hostile, but it was there and it had its presence and it was like i am gonna do what i'm gonna do it's 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 so strange uh because the ocean i think we talked about this during our um podcast on or the episode on uh underwater and it's just it's a natural part of the ocean and the ocean's so big that we just we just missed it we just overlooked this awful like horrifying creature and they went through that exclusion zone and there was an, an exclusion zone for a reason it turned out yeah miller yeah. you hit the nail on the head man i was literally had had that yeah. basically written down but th- that's the thing like i think it was a great move showing the creature so early and the fact that they really just kind of downplayed the creature is just uh you know as you said just a part of nature you know it was nothing menacing it wasn't malevolent you know, I, I think um, at one point they explained that, um, you know, they uh, the, the creature probably mistook the ship for some sort of, you know, organism like a whale or something like that. So yeah. this is obviously an ecosystem that already exists. And, you know, what has been going on, what this creature has been feeding on or, you know, uh, hosting on uh, basically has existed for a while now in this uh, this setup. And. I don't know. They really downplayed that aspect of it. So yeah, the creature certainly wasn't malevolent. They just happened to make a bad decision and they were kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but I, I thought the design was great. It was actually pretty refreshing. Um, and for the budget that they were working with, which I'm sure wasn't a lot, I thought it was really convincing. It was a lot better than a lot of other kind of creature work you see in uh, some indie films. Um, and for the fact that this type of film, you couldn't really go the route of 
not showing the creature or not having a creature since it was so integral kind of the story they're trying to tell i thought they did a really good job because they easily could have botched that and i think that really would have been a hard sell if it was some weird freaky squid monster down there or something bad cgi yeah i i i enjoyed i enjoyed the small glimpse we got of it for a lot of reasons i think it was a good uh diversion in a way to make you not focus on what was the real threat and it it worked for us and the crew um to kind of be fearful of that and you're like oh you know his his jaws feel to it like we're afraid of going in the water and we're safe on the ship the water is where it's the scary thing is at so like you get you get kind of drawn away from the real danger for the crew uh which is cool uh but i also liked I just I liked the design of it. I thought it was really <clears throat> kind of beautifully made. And they had talked earlier about the like bioluminescence in the ocean, which was kind of cool that it was tied to that in a way. Um, and I I also liked that it was you still really didn't get to see much of it. Like they you got a good shot of it, but you know who knows how much more of that creature there was. Like just the scale of it was was uh was very cool. Yeah, definitely. And like uh, like you mentioned, showing the creature early on is to kind of pull your attention away from the fact that the real threat is on the ship with the, uh, what do you call it? the Like larvae or whatever. The larvae, yeah, entering into these people's eyeballs and exploding. See, I think showing the creature early on... I. I I, I don't know if I like the word threat that as we discuss it, because it's it's a threat in the same way that a mountain lion when hiking through Yellowstone is a threat, quote unquote. Like the thing I like the most about this movie is that this like you all had said, this creature isn't just it's this isn't a story about humanity being overstepping at all you know they do what they have to do they're fishing yeah they trespass on an area but they trespass on an area that humans have designated don't go there and humans have designated that because i assume the coast guard knows what's down there with that being said i think what this what the monster quote-unquote monster it's not even a monster it's a parasite what what the what the creature represents is simply the insignificance of humanity even on our own planet is that we you know it doesn't it's not a threat against us it's not an antagonist of the story it is an existing creature and we are stumble into it it's the same thing with like alien alien is the same way in that like yeah it's a threat quote unquote but we stumbled onto it we are no less we we are so insignificant in comparison to this creature that they've come into comp- conflict with and i think that's really all it is it's not really a threat it's just nature yeah well it's more it's more hubris because they had the chance to get out yeah like the the, the lady said you know i i could have you know i could have said turn this boat around right now you know get out of these waters right now and and she didn't, you know, I mean, you're you're challenging nature that you have no idea about. You know, you think, you know, the water, but you're absolutely can, that's, yeah, you're absolutely really right. They, they get away, actually, from they. So they enter this exclusion zone, which is a boundary set by humans to say, don't go in. And they go in and they encounter a bad situation and they very much can just get out. They get a free pass. They're like, go, go, get out of here. And you're absolutely right that they still choose to keep going. They uh, in cat, it's like in uh, in the movie Cabin in the Woods. The the man needs to sit on the side of the road and warn the warn the students away from the cabin because they need to make the choice to move on. And it's the same way. Like they did this to themselves. They made the choice to move on. So you're absolutely right. That's, mm-hmm. You guys actually brought up one of my favorite things about the movie, which is. It's this combination of an old maritime sea monster tale with alien in the mix. It finds this isolationist alien horror flick kind of feel, but in this 
old superstitious maritime environment. And it's just a melding of everything I love. Absolutely. Tyler had, uh, my roommate Tyler had called them something. He said that this is like an actual like myth that exists. And I forget what they're called now that I'm thinking of it. Go ask him. Yeah. There's any... yeah. yeah. Give me one sec. Knock on I'll his door. Him. Kick his door down. I swear to God, if he comes back and says jellyfish, I'm walking out. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, are you dressed yet? Tyler, come yell at a microphone. He said it, it reminds him of Kelpies, which I'm not sure. I haven't like done my research. I've never heard of that. Oh, I know of Kelpies, I but I... So they are shape-shifting water spirits that inhabit locks and pools in Scotland. Uh, they're a Celtic legend, but I, I guess that kind of addresses these, these creatures. Scotland as and Ireland are two different places. Yeah. Eh. Eh. They're as far as the east is from the west. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I do. I mean, there's a common ancestry there. I had something I wanted to bring up uh, to you guys. So, in regards to kind of like the the setup and everything, you know, I definitely a movie that kind of got me interested early on. So it really wasn't uh, that adjustment period where you know the movie had to rope me in or kind of sell me on what was going on. Because I mean, just right off the bat, the the film was beautiful. I thought I thought it was really well shot. I loved the cinematography of it. I loved. Uh, kind of how open things seemed when they were, you know, out on the ship and then how claustrophobic things got when they were in the cabin and everything else like that. So I love the look of the movie, especially for being, you know, kind of a an indie leaning production. I thought that looked really good. Um, one of the things I kind of had to laugh at early on, um, it, and it's a trope, but uh, it was one of the few tropes that I thought was uh, kind of like, you know, one of the face slappers or whatever early on or forehead slappers. So you have the tendrils of this creature that are kind of, you know, they're, it's pushing through, it's hooked onto the hull of the boat and it's pushing through, which I thought was actually really interesting, really interesting, uh, kind of like visual, um, of that. Cause it's pretty horrifying when they're poking at it and, uh, you see the wood fall away and then you see like the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the tentacles or whatever the tendrils, but just the fact that everyone is touching the, the toothpaste goo, <laughs> like you know <laughs> i know it's a horror movie um but it was just kind of funny like really guys really and then uh i think i said the same thing when uh you know the idea is that they're gonna get the their winch and they're gonna winch the thing up and uh oh yeah let's get you know let's let's bring it aboard and see what we got and see what the hall is it's a big squid it was kind of funny you know even films that uh have the i guess benefit of history where you can kind of look back and you can see all the tropey stuff and all the archetypical stuff in the genre. Um, you know, they still do it. And I thought it didn't hurt it, but it was just kind of funny. Like, really, would you would you do that? You know, and, and maybe you would. Maybe in that situation, you got all these characters that are kind of everyman uh, or everyman characters out there on the seas. This is what they do for a living. Uh, so it's really not, you know, anything out of the ordinary. They're used to seeing weird shit like this all the time. So, oh, yeah, you know. What's his green goo? But then, you know, later on when she puts it under the electron microscope or whatever and sees all the little larvae flying around or scooting around, it's like, oh, yeah, probably shouldn't have been, <laughs> you know. So, so uh, this is a common rule with any kind of horror film, no, no matter whether it's sci-fi horror or anything, is that you always need to assume that whatever they're coming into contact with is just, there's nothing. There's no outside perspective unless they say unless they reference something it's the it's the walking dead rule in film tropes which is that there are zombies zombie pop culture does not exist in the walking dead's universe because if it did the the conflict would have been over immediately so zombies george romero never created the uh, night of the living dead you know no one ever wrote any you know max brooks didn't write the uh the world war z book you know those don't exist so it's the same thing here if if someone doesn't talk about it no one ever wrote books wrote books about underwater monsters no one ever made movies about underwater monsters it's just a suspension of disbelief thing you've gotta you've gotta allow because yeah that's a trope that you're never gonna escape or else movies won't right exist. yeah and that's interesting um that that's kind of a established thing ben that's that's not really something i was aware of so i mean you know of course you have to have that suspension of disbelief you have to buy in to a certain extent to really accept any of that is going on uh, to begin with so i did i mean certainly because it didn't hurt 
at all, but it was kind of funny that, uh, you know, you see sure. those th- things happening throughout the film. Cause of course we have that knowledge, right? We've got the, the knowledge that the, the crew of that ship and the characters in the film don't. So it's kind of, um, it's easy to, to look that way at it, I guess. But yeah, overall, just thought that was kind of funny, but I really liked the way that it was, um, kind of an understated threat. You know, you see those scenes, which I thought were really well, uh, handled where you see the, um, the goo or whatever, like on the bottom of, um, like their boots, like their rubber boots that they have. And it's really kind of, uh, it's not, it's pointed out, but it's not really made a big deal of, you know, you see like footprints around the, uh, the ship, uh, on the decks of, you know, where they're walking. Cause they're just going about their day, you know, they're not thinking of it. And it almost kind of reminded me of, uh, contagion, you know, how that was, um, filmed when we were talking yeah, about that, absolutely. where it's like this real innocuous sort of threat that you see. Um, and you know, you take it for granted, but ultimately that's what kills everybody or that's going to be what kills everybody. So I kind of liked how that was handled. Yeah, and that actually brings me to the the big thing I wanted to talk about today, which was just that <clears throat> this is a wonderful allegory, once again, for, and I was surprised to even get something like this, but this is a wonderful allegory to our situation living today. It's about infection, it's about quarantine, it's about personal responsibility for when we come into contact with something that we cannot control and cannot possibly understand. It's about... You know, us at the end of the day, yeah, like they come into contact with this wildlife, you know, it's about their struggle to survive. But then it's about the the decision to not bring this back to the world. It's about the decision to not spread this infection of this parasite further than it needs to go. And, you know, you may you may kind of get angry at Siobhan for what she does at the end towards the end which when she stalls the ship with ruining the rudder but I thought what she did was wildly brave yeah. and, and the most human thing anyone did in the in the entire film yeah oh and she was absolutely right that's the thing I mean she you you feel for a lot of the characters um especially like you know before you really know what's going to happen like uh the character who's you know, he's working to save up money because he's got a kid on the way. And like, you know, I, I genuinely liked his character by the end. And you think, well, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I really want him to get back to his family and I don't want anything to happen to him. And, you know, he's got a lot to live for and he's got all this stuff come, you know, kind of um, happening here. So like you want to see him get back to his family. But I love the questions that it asks. Well, is it worth, you know, I, I think she even asked him, where are you from? How many people live in your hometown? Is it mm-hmm. worth them? You know, is it worth our lives to potentially kill everyone in the city and potentially kill everyone in the world if it got that far. Um, And I thought she absolutely made the right decision. And I think it might be in some ways, you know, they kind of play off the dichotomy of her decision being selfish um, in a way, but at the same time, she ultimately makes the most selfless decision because um, I think everything she does in the last act of the movie is, you know, preservation of really humanity and not letting that selfish kind of impulse to get back to shore and you know let's just forget this all happened and you know try to go back to some sense of normalcy well no you can't at this point you know it's it's happened it's unfortunate but that's kind of the reality you find yourself in that's your new normal and i thought that played in as ben said really well to kind of what we're dealing with right now obviously not to as extreme a sense but i think that personal stake and personal responsibility was a huge theme or became a huge theme for the end of the movie. Yeah. I, I kind of laughed when, when, uh, uh, Oh, I forgot her name. The, uh, Freya. And she's like, he has a kid he has to get back to. And I'm like, he very specifically has a kid. He needs to not go back to right now. (laughs) Right. And I apologize if I'm just treading over something we just talked about for the last you know, five minutes, but um, even if you don't want to apply it to our current situation, I kind of just looked at it as um, you have someone who, for, you know, lack of a better term, we'll just call the intellectual surrounded by a group of non-intellectuals and they're all failing to see the bigger picture. They're kind of just reacting to what's in front of them at that moment. Um, And I feel like that's kind of a problem our society has to uh, struggle with on a day-to-day constant basis. But um, yes, it's 
unintentionally very applicable to our current situation as well. Well said. Does anyone else have any points they want to bring up about this movie? Okay, I do want to bring up briefly, close to the end, when Omid shouts that he can't swim and jumps into the water and the thing grabs him and they just kind of knock the tendril off very easily. That was a very weird scene that had no precedence in the movie. Yeah, that the ending felt kind of um, like it didn't land well for me. I really, really enjoyed the movie all the way up until the last like couple minutes there. That scene just felt like an unnecessary last bit of. Although I guess it was, it kind of served to continue the theme of this thing isn't actively going out trying to like hunt them down or anything. He fell in and. She just happened to get hurt in the process of, like, pulling him back out, you know. So I guess maybe that was their device to make there be, like, that one last moment of sacrifice without having the creature, like, actively hunting them down in their boat or whatever. I think it's a criticism of myth, and it's a criticism of legends and stories and the fact that we mythicize certain aspects of our world when they're just so normal and and natural is... You know, the story that we're told early on by Freya about the woman who jumped into the sea and and uh, became the bioluminescence that they see in the ocean. She does that. And of course, the corny little phytoplankton. I don't think it's a it's a perfect um, metaphor that they're going for, but I definitely think it wasn't like a celebration, but a criticism, criticism of myth and that it was like. No, there is no story here. She's not beautifully sacrificing herself or whatever. This is simply uh, a woman who is ensuring that a disease, a parasite, not a disease, but a parasite does not come back to the natural world and it stays where it belongs. It's it's humans understanding their place is what it all comes down to. All right, Ben. This is now the second time that I came into the podcast with something to grump about. And you completely changed my mind with like <laughs> well done, one or ben. two phrases, and it's annoying. <laughs> I'm a very because a I'm very realizing persuasive person because I'm realizing that his not knowing how to swim was brought up earlier as a it's better to just drown than to fight for a while and then drown yep. slowly, whereas yep. he survived because she knew how to swim and saved him. So it was more of a not knowing how to swim on a ship is stupid. And for that, I am angrily applauding you. Well, I don't think that was the point that Ben was making, but... No, no, but, but the fact that, that he was saying that they were fighting against the stereotypes and the, the superstitions. Mm. And him saying that kind of, like, reminded me of that and made me realize that his point was completely right and was relevant still. Ben's well, like, please keep you know, telling me how I'm right. hearing that I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did have one other thing I wanted to bring up to you guys that we actually haven't talked about yet. So that is a good thing. Um, but I definitely got the vibe throughout this movie that, uh, it kind of harkened back to one of my all time, you know, horror sci-fi classics and uh, a film we've covered on this podcast, albeit a long time ago at this point. But, um, the thing I thought that, um, it was really interesting that, uh, you know, there was that kind of harken back to that paranoia. They even had a test scene, which I thought was kind of a cool callback because they they did it in a very understated way and they kind of did it in their own way. So it wasn't, you know, like a, a, I wouldn't go as far to say it was like ripping it off, but it was kind of a cool homage to it uh, when they did the flashlight, you know, eye test. Um, I thought that was certainly a really stressful scene. But what I thought was really interesting yeah. and I guess was the last thing I wanted to bring up is much like the thing, I thought the the violence in this movie for being, you know, a modern horror movie, it was it was very understated, but it was also very extreme. Um, I feel like the film really had this build up to this one like major scene of violence, uh, where the one character who kind of becomes like the love interest, um, I guess in like maybe the second act of the movie early on, um, has you know this rapid like degradation of symptoms, and that kind of culminates of them in the galley with his uh, his eyes bursting out of his head and I wasn't expecting that or prepared for it at all so I think I actually jumped out of my seat when I saw that because I was kind of I was watching the movie and you know 
I just thought that was handled so well and really served as an exclamation point to what's going on. And the fact that they're able to convey just the, the, the kind of sea change or like the vibe change in the crew instantly with that one scene, I thought that was a really powerful use of violence or of that kind of violent imagery in a way where, you know, they didn't rely on it. The rest of the film really wasn't that bloody, all things considered. It could have easily devolved into, you know, uh, a slash fest um, and could have been really kind of gory after that. And there was certainly some, you know, other kind of things that you saw that were, you know, like that. I mean, you've got when the skipper, um, you know, uh, commit suicide at the end after he finds out that he's infected. You've got uh, the one character, I think it was Omid, um, who obviously dies due to everything that's going on. Um, I thought that scene in the shower was really good too, but definitely want to applaud the uh, the filmmakers for kind of that tasteful use of violence and blood and gore because obviously it's a part of horror and a part of science fiction, especially the body horror elements. You can't really separate um, but I think when it's done well and tastefully like that, it, it's really powerful or, or serves to be a really powerful tool. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point, especially like in I mean, looking at similar movies in the same vein, they all have a lot more like harsh gore kind of aspects going on, even if it's just for like short bursts here and there, like apart from the apart from the eyes and the point where he gets his hand stuck in the winch like there's really not much the movie is supported by a lot more than just that yeah and i just feel like that the the eye burst scene as i've taken a calling it is just so it's such a holy shit moment because of that because they didn't overdo right, it and yeah. it really does have an impact and it, it's place in the film it's very much like yeah. a chest burst <laughs> absolutely yeah there honestly it has the same impact i i was surprised to hear myself gasp when his eyes blew up it was so well done. I love this movie. Yeah, I I had kind of it. I guess part of what caught me off guard is they almost alluded to when they went on the other ship and the guy's eyes were gone. They almost alluded to him having gouged his eyes out. Yeah. yeah. So I was yeah. I was expecting him to go blind. I didn't think that his eyes would burst. So it really did still catch me off guard even while it was happening. Like I just didn't see it coming. Yeah, definitely. All right, boyos, I'm going to throw this one around the table to get a good sci-fi, bad sci-fi out of your butts. <laughs> Starting with me. I think it was good sci-fi. Not, It wasn't apparent to me at first. I could have just put this as a horror film in a way, or a thriller like that, but the message kind of became more clear later on, uh, especially with you know the greater good and all that. So I will, I will say it's good sci-fi by the end. I really appreciated it. Uh, Mark? Uh... I would say good sci-fi, good film. Yeah, I had, I had come into this podcast expecting to talk about not liking that last scene, but I I, uh, I would agree I've kind of shifted my view on it. I like it. Cool. Jason? Yeah, you know, this um, definitely is one of those films that kind of, you don't really know anything about. It catches you off guard. Uh, you know, it wasn't earth-shattering, isn't, isn't going to change the world, but I thought it was really just a, a good example of well-done kind of modern sci-fi, like the twist that they kind of added uh, in their own uh, take that they added to our, uh, you know, tropes that we know and love and are well-worn, but I thought they did it in a really unique way um, and kind of added a new twist to it. So, yeah, um, overall very solid, and I was pleasantly surprised. So good good sci-fi, good film. All right. Matthew. All right. I'm going to say phenomenal sci-fi. I am obsessed with this film now. And I'm going to kind of defer to our overlord when it comes to the reasons why. It just encapsulated a twist into sci-fi that I love. And that's it. All right. Thank you. Ben Young. <clears throat> good sci-fi. Good film. Nothing else to say about it except support more indie film. Because then you get movies like this. Stop going to see shitty ass low effort blockbusters. Like, I don't know. Whatever. Bloodshot. <laughs> Trolls 2. Or Trolls World Tour. <laughs> Trolls World Tour. Don't rent that movie. Don't no, do it. I gotta see make it. Your the kids, McElroy's make your kids. Oh, fuck the McElroy's. They fought, <gasps> they fought so hard to get in it. Sea Fever. Don't ever talk. Ben, ben I've right. yeah, Make, make like your kids that. watch Sea Fever. Ben, I've rented. Adventure Zone isn't good. I've rented Trolls World Tour <gasps> right, five times already. On. I've spent $100 on it in quarantine. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm funding Trolls World Tour 2 right now as we speak I gotta <laughs> isn't that Trolls 5 yeah no that's a sequel a sequel it's different than 5 yeah who knows makes right. me Shrek <laughs> Bill Jarvis hello sir okay thank you very much so I was I really have been silent this entire cast but I was gonna say you guys have pretty much gotten more out of it than I did um I think in retrospect, I think that the feeling I got was like Ben was saying exactly what Ben was saying was that humans don't fight nature. We are part of nature. And thus there are things that are going to wipe us out. You know, there are things that could possibly destroy us. So I thought that was kind of the, um, the big sci-fi idea, the fundamental truth um, in there. And, uh, and yeah. And also the fact that um, um, the, redhead gene um actually uh creates unlucky <laughs> just, i'm just kidding i thought it was i, I thought Call it was me. good <laughs> bill will you do me a sight. favor yeah can you do uh a bonus episode on the redhead gene yeah yeah you got it oh god no that sounds good. Bill. yeah that's that's the name of this episode <laughs> um so i was uh yeah no i thought it was good sci-fi i thought it was an okay film i wasn't really like super super like it wasn't something that made me like oh my god you know it's not like a groundbreaking but i thought it was pretty cool i think it's worth a watch definitely worth a watch and i think it's pretty good to you know think about so yeah good sci-fi cool appreciate you and last but not least andrew miller uh, I thought it was a good film, decent sci-fi. Um, had a couple of cool concepts. Had a couple. It's like this is this is going back to the. Uh, it seems like it's going back to like the creature feature of the forties, um, fifties era, where there's like a definite science fictiony monster who is um, at the crux of all of this. Um, I liked it. Didn't overstay its welcome. About an hour and. Th- 35 minute movie hour, I think. hour 29 yeah um i liked it personally i watched it today um got it done real quick it didn't overstay its welcome um i think of the two kind of underwatery the watery movies we watched underwater versus this i liked this better than uh than underwater for sure same yeah yep so uh good sci-fi good movie all right folks there you have it that is hey. our take did you guys know that Hermione Corfield was in Star Wars Episode Eight? Nope. The heck of the crazy? clothes. Isn't it so? Like <laughs> she was good in this. She was in Episode Eight. It was a good film. I see what you're doing. Your bad bad film. All right. Um, <laughs> there you have it, folks. That is our take on Sea Fever. Um, I highly recommend you spend if you haven't already and listen to this cast and haven't seen it. I don't know why you did that, but um, spend that. Two ninety nine if you're Andrew Miller or six bucks <laughs> if you're the rest of us and watch this movie. Uh, as Ben said, support indie movies, support indie sci-fi specifically. Uh, that's what we're here for. Next week, I believe we are covering platforms. The platform. Yeah, the platform. The platform. platform. Thank you. So excited. It's the platform. Been, altered Carbon's been bumped. So if you were looking forward to that, blame Jason. Yeah, I suck. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think anybody's uh, looking forward you know, to that. Season two. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was actually looking forward to Alter Carbon, but I'm Shut also up, excited Matt. about the platform. I'm excited to chat uh, with you guys about it, so it should be a good one. Um, ben, what can we do on Sundays? What can everyone do on Sundays? On Sundays, you can watch us play Dungeons and Dragons, because honestly, you're not doing anything else. Don't try and tell me you are. Because you're a liar. So come watch us play Dungeons and Dragons every Sunday at twitch.tv slash once upon a tavern underscores between the words. If you're like, I don't know the plot, then go watch us on YouTube at bit.ly slash once upon a tavern. And you could do that. I really don't want to hear the excuses. So if you're listening to this, go watch that. <laughs> and also, also, we're, also we're a podcast. So if you're like, I don't want to watch videos because you're like, I don't know, don't like looking at things. <laughs> then you can listen to us on our podcast, Once Upon a Tavern. It's found on the very same podcast medium that you're listening to us on right now. I promise it's it's on it. So just go look for it. Once Upon a Tavern. There's nothing else called that. There's only one. Why are you still here? Go. Go. Get out of here, won't you?
We don't want you anymore. You know, Ben, I, I will uh, say I took too long. I'm on glad that. that you guys are providing options for people who may in the recent future past have their eyes uh, blown out of their heads by sea yes. creatures. Yes. <laughs> so the, the visually I have a feeling like I'm losing my mind here. Those people in the future past, in the present. Hey, man, you never know what's around the corner. That was my favorite of those X-Men movies that came out. Days of Future right now. If Days week. of Future Past was your favorite X-Men, you're wrong. No, I'm, I'm talking about Days of Recent Future Past. Yeah, Brian Singer was back. Listen. We're really going for this niche audience, which of course is people <laughs> are time traveling who robots. Are, who we have, do this podcast who for us, Bill. From exploding eyeballs. It's more more common than you think. You know, they're people too, and they have needs too, and you know, they might want to enjoy the whatever they can enjoy without eyeballs. If you or a loved one suffers from exploded <laughs> eyeballs, I'm Peter Francis. You're not you're not just blind. <laughs> You're, you don't have eyeballs. Yeah, no, like, you're fucked. <laughs> there's no chance. There's no chance anymore. That's the, it's done. <laughs> done. That's you, the, that's the you, title of the episode. You, you're not just blind, you're fucked. You, you just have eyeballs I mean, now. Yeah, blind people <laughs> have <laughs> eyeballs, they just don't work. Uh-huh. They're fucked. Um, <laughs> fuck. Um, Andrew, you, you streaming again? You're not streaming again? I think I'm going to start streaming again. Um, insert <laughs> uh, twitch.tv slash insert underscore game underscore here. Um, and then Rachel and I are going to start our, I think we're recording our first X-Files podcast uh, this weekend. You said that last week too. I'm, I know. Well, no, Do it. I'm so we're, excited. We were, we were, we're, we're, her and I are still talking about it. Miller, I want to believe um, you're going to do it. I want to believe that too. I really do. I don't want to have to edit this out. I don't want to have to let it. I don't want to have to edit last week's episode to say we're not, you know, not doing it. Um, we're trying to come up with a title for the podcast. So help us out with that. Um, but Submit we're going to cover. Yeah, we're going to cover. We're going to cover Star or uh, X Files, and uh, it's going to be great. All right. Well, if no one has anything else they want to add or plug. Quarantine's killing the music, boys. I uh, really got nothing going on right now. I'm kind of putting all my efforts into podcast stuff. Jason, you and I can do some music together. I play bass. Miller, play the play the Final Fantasy theme. Final Fantasy two theme. Nope, don't do that. Bow, 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 bow. That's not it. Until next time.